1: Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Hello. To kick off today, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. Thank you to Stevie G. To Rach. To Nicola. To Jamie. To Dominic Paterzo. To Ali Reed. To Emily. To Ben Peterson. To Lisa Reese. To Hayloid. To Megan Meyerson. Thank you guys so much for your thank Patreon you subscriptions. We are now up to 90 Patreon subscribers.
0: That is massive. That we is really appreciate it.
1: Mental. I cannot believe we have that many Patreon subscribers. And it has made our podcasting lives significantly easier, which is all down to you. So thank you so much for subscribing. Our film review this week.
0: Are you ready? Yep.
1: Astral was released in 2018. It has 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and it has no consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. No
0: consensus. (laughs) Does that just mean nobody's voted? It
1: just means that nobody's voted. There's lots of critic reviews of it on Rotten Tomatoes, but there isn't a score.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Okay, so would you like a synopsis? Yeah, go for it. A detached university student faces the consequences of astral projection when he uses it to reconnect with his dead mother. That's it. I like I know you're waiting for me to finish, but that's it.
0: That's pretty much the story, though, wasn't it really?
1: Yeah, what were your thoughts on this film?
0: It could have been better. Oh, you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it spent a good 40 minutes doing establishing the fact that he was going to try astral projection.
1: That's a really good point, actually. A nothing. The, the, do you know what I? This film is like an open house for me.
0: I really see now. It would be, however, I found it, and Fifty P Movie Club listeners will understand this. I found it more interesting on a bad movie scale than I did Open House. So that was a redeemer for me. I think
1: I just thought it was really boring. So you can't you can't base a film. On a science lecture in which an apparent (laughs) scientist says that there's scientific proof for talking to the dead. That clairvoyants use astral projection to talk to the dead. And he says this in a really blasé way in a science lecture in 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 an apparent legitimate university as an apparent scientist.
0: Yet... As he later says, after he's delivered that part of his lecture, pseudosciences are frowned upon within the university. Oh yeah,
1: the university doesn't take kindly to that kind of thing. Sorry, dreaming. The university yeah. doesn't like <laughs> you to dream. Is that it?
0: A- Fuck me. They have previous history of burning dreamers at the university. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, I didn't mind so much that that thing, because, you know, it's all real to me anyway. Still real to me, damn it. Yeah. My biggest concern was the guy's group of friends who considering they were at university and in the prime of their life were the biggest lot of anti-crack in the world anti-crack. there was no person there was maybe a third of a personality between the three of them
1: i'm going to explain some of the them, listeners now for a second so crack in irish terms c-r-a-i-c oh, yeah, sorry, I just means removed. fun anti-crack means not very fun and if you're a crack you you are a vacuum of crack. It means that you're no fun at all. <laughs> Feel free to use those in it's any also context. Also, a term
0: <laughs> that was applied to a lot of 1980s bankers as well, but a different type.
1: Yes, very, very true. Um, so, yeah, you were talking about the
0: yeah, friends just, being anti-crack. oh, lack of personality between. There was four people, four people in this friendship group, and uh, the big ongoing storyline was that he was turning them down to hang out with them to go to astral surf, as I like to call it. Yeah. But actually, looking at it completely objectively, if I was him, I'd be making up excuses not to hang out with him yeah, either. Yeah, because
1: they were so boring. Oh my gosh. Can't even remember any of their names. <laughs> <laughs> And none of them had a distinguishing personality. None of them. And also, the girl who was his love interest was actually the worst actor I've oh, ever seen. That, that's, so, she was
0: part of the Redeeming Feature because she was so bad.
1: Bear in mind at one point. Oh. I'm going to give away a spoiler because this film is awful. At one point, the boy becomes possessed by this demon. And she just has a look of sort of mild surprise on her face. She's never, like, frightened. She just like this is all, all of it's popping off like it's mental the whole room is cracking apart She's been strangled by this bloody demon boy and she's just like alex was that his name
0: yeah i think so yeah
1: just just constantly just alex but is that it? Is that the only emotion you have that's not <laughs> even an emotion saying his name saying his name and frowning does not signify that you're really frightened
0: but prior to that She'd been asleep on his bed and pulled out by both her feet, out of the entire length, of, out of the end of her bed, right out of the bed.
1: Yeah, true. And
0: she just went, what the hell?
1: <laughs> Literally, she just went, <laughs> what the hell? And that was it. <laughs> oh, this film, man. This and is it really, I mean, it's, so it's making knows. me...
0: There's something in this room. It's
1: making me really <laughs> angry, actually, just even thinking about it now no, the other see. thing there's another thing that really annoys me so besides the fact that this, this girl obviously got paid for doing this film like there were plenty of amateur actors that you could have probably hired for like half the price of her that would have been considerably better first of all second of all it's really important if you're on stage or if you're in a film that you work on your addiction Half of the film, I spent trying to decipher what the main guy was actually saying, because he spoke through his teeth.
0: And there was, that, was, that was on top of the fact that I had the subtitles on, because I couldn't hear it anyway.
1: Yeah, there was one point where Dan <laughs> was like, was it, what just happened? Something scary happened, but I don't know what happened, because I don't know what he said beforehand. And I was like, I don't know what he said either. And also, another pointer for this film, because I'm ranting now... Just because you put scary music over something does not mean that by proxy that thing is then scary. There were so many shots of just corridors or rooms where nothing was happening, there was no context, and they just put scary music over it, and I can't for the life of me understand why. How the fuck did this film get 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb?
0: I think if you want to, if you're contemplating writing a satire of a horror movie, this is probably a good thing to look at because there's loads of things things they do accidentally that would actually make really good comedy so what would you what
1: would you give this film out of five
0: Uh, two out of five but possibly a six or five or a six on the bad film scale from 50 I'm gonna
1: give it I'm gonna give it a one out of five because it's fucking annoyed me I mean I'm actually angry I think we need to take a break before we start recording the stories because I'm really angry but also they nothing was explained in this film so nobody actually ever properly explained what astral projection was nobody properly explained why this why then this demon appeared nobody explained anything about his ma Everything was just, like, fucking... They just dipped their toe into everything, and then suddenly the film ended. I think they're working on the basis
0: that you've seen Insidious, which is a dangerous thing for a film to do.
1: Oh, that's a good point, actually. Oh, it was just Insidious, but grown up. Yeah. He was the boy from Insidious, but in university.
0: Well, it wasn't actually. I know. I know it wasn't actually, (laughs) but
1: that's what it was. Oh, that's... yeah.
0: See, the reason for me this isn't as bad as Open House is... There was a vague story there.
1: Yeah, but it was very vague. It was yeah, very vague and very hard to understand. It,
0: it could have been okay. It was just quite poorly executed.
1: It could have been okay, but it Whereas wasn't. Whereas I
0: didn't feel like Open House could have been okay because I didn't think it was the story was strong enough. Whereas I feel like the story here would have been all right and actually it entertained me for the wrong reasons. So that's why it's better than Open House. In my One opinion. out of five. Don't two, watch it. Two. Two.
1: One. But it does, it did inspire this week's episode. I was going to do something else this week.
0: Is it about house parties with atrociously bad music? No.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. But it is a bit anti-crack this week's episode. Okay. So what do you know about outer body experiences?
0: I think it's something that some people claim to have had just before they die. Yeah. Or nearly die.
1: That's near that death experiences, two different things.
0: Oh, is it? Mm. Oh, okay. Didn't yeah. know
1: it was two different things either, but here we are.
0: Okay. Um, It's when you're watching yourself do something, but you're distant from it.
1: Okay, good. That's a good place to start. That was a guess. So I'm going to, before we start our stories today, I went on to medicalnewstoday.com and I took some... Um, Sounds
0: like a trustworthy resource.
1: Yes, obviously. And I took some vaguely medical terminology about what an out-of-body experience, hereby known as an OBE, actually is.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And then like we're going to talk acronym. about some stories. Are you ready? Never. Reports of out-of-body experiences vary. Some consist of little more than a fleeting feeling that body and mind have come loose, while others recount tales of floating far from the person's physical body and travelling to otherworldly planes. Either way, OBEs have fascinated humanity for centuries, entering folklore, spiritual belief and mythology. In the 19th century, for instance, OBEs became a popular topic of the Romantic literary movement, And, unsurprisingly, they were eagerly discussed by early physical researchers. According to surveys, around 10% of the population have experienced an OBE at least once, so there must be more to it than a desire to live forever or an overcharged imagination. Perhaps the most controversial aspect of OBEs is veridical perception which is the claim that during an OBE, a viewer is able to literally float out of their body and witness something or someone that they could not have otherwise seen. A well-known example is the case of Pam Reynolds, a brain surgery patient who underwent a highly invasive operation to remove a brain tumour. Following surgery, Reynolds was able to describe aspects of the procedure that had happened at the time when she was clinically dead. She claimed to have surveyed the scene during an OBE, Although scepticism abounds, proponents of the afterlife have repeatedly used this story as evidence of an ability to float beyond the body. Some of these stories are intriguing and compelling, but at this stage they are nothing more than unverifiable stories. A study from 2014 titled Awareness During Resuscitation was the first serious large-scale investigation to look at near-death experiences. The study addressed the possibility of veridical perception during OBEs. The research involved multiple hospitals and hundreds of interviews with cardiac arrest survivors. To investigate whether any individuals had genuinely floated above themselves and viewed their surroundings, researchers placed pictures on shelves that would only be viewable from above. In this way, they could test whether people experiencing OBEs really could leave their bodies. Although there were only two veridical OBEs during the study, Neither could accurately relate the images from the shelves. So that's our kind of opening gambit. So I want to as well be really clear about the difference between an OBE and a lucid dream. I can lucid dream. I can't do it by choice. I'm, I'm assuming I can. Apparently you can practice these things and you can like learn how to lucid dream. Like but astral I'm, surfing. Yeah, like astral surfing. But I just can't be arsed. I'm too lazy. Don't really care that much. But sometimes if I'm in a dream, I will realise in the middle of the dream that I'm dreaming. And then I'm able to control the dream whatever that means it won't be anything like wild or exciting but an obe is the actual ability to leave your body so you're not dreaming you your body is still in bed but your spirit is elsewhere so you you need to be clear about the differences between those two things
0: i'm not a skeptic when it comes to out-of-body experiences
1: fuck off are you not
0: however (laughs) i'm a little skeptical about whether you can scientifically investigate an out-of-body experience why well, because that would suggest that the per- you'd have to pre-prep the person to be looking for something. What do you mean? Well, he's, they said on the report that they'd left pictures upside down, basically. The people didn't know. Yeah, exactly. But if you're out of your body, you're not necessarily focused on the right things. So how would they know, unless it had caught the eye of the person that was out of their spirit? Well, I'm they- assuming
1: that they would have done, done them in order to catch the eye of this person. So there wouldn't have been like a tiny, minuscule picture. It would have been... Somewhat significant, I would imagine, like but I think like
0: a giant penis or something like, like
1: that. a giant dick pic. But I think the <laughs> look
0: here in bolders. <laughs> but
1: I think the important thing is, is that actually science has studied these things and continues to study these things. So it it is a phenomena that is recognised as either being you know a, a, an ability of our brain
0: that we don't quite understand yet. Oh like third man theory, yeah. <laughs> Not I wasn't laughing that time. Just like point <laughs> You out.
1: need to let that go. It's a real thing. I know.
0: I was saying like third man theory. So
1: I'm going to give you a medical case study. Okay. In 1968, Dr. Charles Tart, professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, studied an anonymous woman later named Miss Z, who could supposedly leave her body at will. The study consisted of placing a random number, in this case, the number five, on a shelf above the bed in which the woman slept. The woman was tasked with self-inducing an OBE, checking the number and then reporting the number to Dr Tart and his team upon her awakening. The number was chosen after Missy had gone to sleep. It was written down and brought to Dr Tart in an opaque envelope. Dr Tart remained in the same room as the woman to ensure that she did not get up and check the number during the study. Dr. Tart was stunned when Miss Z woke up from her sleep and correctly stated the number on the shelf. At first, he thought that perhaps the number was reflected on some sort of reflective surface present in the room. However, the only surface reflective object in the room was a clock face. Dr. Tart and his assistant both lay down on the bed and tried to see whether it was possible to make out the number on the clock face. Both Tart and his assistant concluded that the number was not visible on the clock face in the dim lighting of the room. Tax description of Miss Z could perhaps explain why she experienced OBEs. My informal observations of her over a period of several months, undoubtedly distorted by the fact that one can never describe one's friends objectively, resulted in a picture of a person who, in some ways, was quite mature and insightful, and in other ways, so extremely disturbed psychologically that at times when she lost control, she could possibly be diagnosed as schizophrenic. That's the medical case study I wanted to present to you.
0: Okay, two things. Firstly, that's proof,
1: right? I'll, I'll, I'll say my bit in a minute.
0: Secondly, is it infrasound? <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: Firstly, for me, what a crock of shit. This guy is the worst scientist that has ever existed. If he's already established that this woman is super insightful and really mature and all of those things, then there are ways and means, like look at Darren Brown, there's ways and means that you can uh, figure out what a person is thinking or feeling by their body language or by their movements. I think it's the power of suggestion. suggestion. I don't think this is a real, this is a real case for the ability to leave your body at will. But also, the fact that he described her as being so disturbed psychologically that she could be schizophrenic, what does that, like what does that have to do with anything? Surely, if you're experiencing an OBE, your mental state of mind when you're awake should be irrelevant. There was an interesting case study that I read where they tested the brainwaves of somebody who claimed to be able to um have out of body experiences at will and when they were asleep only one side of their brain was awake and they were like, Oh, that's interesting. I mean it doesn't prove anything, it doesn't say anything, but it's interesting. Yeah, there seems to be quite a lot of Is that
0: of... the the ones that said they could astral project? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't so there's no way of proving that you can astral project like you can't unless you like can irrefutably talk about something that's happened and prove that nobody's told you that thing or whatever it is
0: could it just be like your creative part of your brain
1: i don't know if you know the way they say that you're there's like left-brained and right-brained yeah and left is logical and right is creative that's pretty much been
0: debunked creative section of your brain you have a creative part of your brain don't you yeah could it just be that part that's not slept?
1: Potentially, that that's the bit that stayed awake. And it's, you're
0: creating an image of yourself being out of your body. Yeah. Because you roughly know where you are. Okay. Do you see what I mean? It might yeah. be that.
1: But uh, what I found really interesting about researching this was that the stories that I found, a lot of them were from like really reputable, reputable, I don't know what the word is, reputable yeah, s- sources. So like the story I'm going to read is from the Guardian newspaper. Oh, interesting. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because The Guardian is quite a logical left-wing newspaper where they, you know, are interested in science and stuff. And I thought it was interesting that they had chosen to run with this story. And then I'm going to read you some kind of more freaky ones after this one. So you ready?
0: Not for the freaky ones. I'll listen to The Guardian story.
1: It was 7.42pm on a wet Tuesday evening. My wife was about to return after two days. I was uncomfortably aware, however, that the kitchen was strewn with breakfast things and the wall was decorated with soup. I was desperately cleaning. My wife called. She wasn't going to be home for half an hour. On the upside, the delay would give me more time to pick the pebble dash of Rice Krispies off the bowls. but in five minutes time, my eldest daughter would be getting off a bus, a mile away, and while she's a very competent girl, she's only twelve. I wanted to go and meet Grace. Equally, I didn't want to leave the youngest one home alone. Six-year-old Iris is the one we worry about. I called my wife to ask what I should do. She was driving so she couldn't speak. I felt a stab of rage. Did I need my wife to tell me what to do? Come on, I was cursing at myself. You're such an idiot. Just make a decision. I made a plan and told it to the relevant person. My middle daughter, ten-year-old Cassidy. Cass, I whispered. Mum won't be home for half an hour and I'll run and get Grace. She smiled. She knew what I was asking. I wanted her to look after Iris we were both calculating hang that on a
0: second yeah. can, can he just take them all with him
1: yeah I don't listen alright I'm not questioning the okay. motives of this but yes he could have just taken them all with him and I don't really understand why he didn't we were both calculating that as Iris was watching Barbie Princess Charm School she wouldn't be moving I ran off I ran down the drive then I decided to take a shortcut through the orchard I quickly realised it was full of muddy puddles and I was incorrectly shod I was wearing slip on blue suede shoes should I go back and change come on just get on with it I accelerated angrily I'm going to pause here for a second as well because this man seems really uh, angry for no reason and also just really like unprepared for life I don't know why anyone would wear blue suede shoes hey blue suede shoes with three small children
0: yeah or just just take the kids with you Just seriously just bundle them up let's all go do you know
1: alright I've kind of now I'm rereading this through like different eyes I'm like oh (laughs)
0: this guy's a dick yeah, it still got published in The Guardian, so...
1: The path went through a little copse. A branch had fallen across it. Beyond was a puddle. I tried to leap both branch and puddle and snagged my trousers on the branch. I fell hard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why are you laughing? Because this sounds like some kind of, like, famous five out outing. It went trotting through the mud, got caught. Oh no, puddles.
1: I tried to stop myself falling. My hand skidded in the mud and turning, I smacked the side of my head on a big stone. Bang! I was out. Out of my body. I could see myself lying face down in the puddle, and I was filled with terror. Oh God, I was thinking the girls. Then somehow, although my body was lying in the copse, I was in the village. I could see Grace had gotten off the bus, and she was fine. Then I found myself in the house. My middle daughter had left the living room. She was coming through the hallway picking up a hairbrush. She was preparing for bed, and she was fine. Then I went to the living room and I saw Iris. She had fallen asleep on the sofa, her nose was running and she looked unwell. She wasn't fine. I thought, I've done something truly awful, will she be alright? Some people say that when you die you see your life in reverse, but what I saw next as my body lay unconscious in the cops, was a series of incidents in my life with Iris. Recently i would taken her to Disneyland Paris. Now I saw us checking into the hotel. Our tickets were for the next day, I explained, so we won't actually be in Disneyland until the morning. She was bewildered. But Dad, she said, we we're already at Disneyland. During the day there was only one thing on her mind. My mum had given her five pounds and she wanted to know what she was going to spend it on. At the end of the day she walked into the Disney shop and went straight up to an aerial dress. How much is this? As thirty five Euro. Iris picked up a Cinderella wand and crown set. How much is this? That's 19 Euro. She wasn't disheartened. She found an aerial pen for £7.50. Can I afford this? Yes, I said, I think you can. She was heartbreakingly delighted. Then, getting on the train, she pulled the top off the pen and it broke and rolled under the wheels. I was seeing this scene again and feeling desperate. It seemed to sum up all my failings as a father. What have you done, I thought. What have you ever done for this girl? What had I done? Then I was seeing the games we played together. I saw her as a toddler. She was sitting in her high chair and blowing raspberries and I turned pretending to be shocked and shook with laughter. I was watching this scene, but fading back from it too. I realised that this silly raspberries game had taught her something. She knew she could make a noise and get a reaction and that it would be fun. And I couldn't think of anything I'd rather have taught her. As I had that thought, I started to feel terribly sad. God, I was thinking just how much would I miss Iris. But at the same time, I felt light. As if I were floating away, backwards and upwards. I opened my eyes and I saw I was swimming up through warm water. I saw sparkling light. I felt that wonderful peace. Then I heard a voice say, You can't be here now. And it sounded amused and playful. Suddenly I felt very, very sick. I felt I was being dragged down and then bang. I was back. I could feel my body hanging heavily around me, all mud and ageing flesh. "'Be here,' said the voice, and I felt a prod in my back. "'The next thing I knew I was crawling out of the muddy field. "'I was choking and coughing and doing awful things, but strangely I felt calm. "'I was still on my hands and knees feeling very shaky, "'but I was looking at an ant, which was crawling up a sheath of grass, "'on which there was a perfect drop of water. "'Everything seemed beautiful and very alive. "'Then Grace appeared. "'Are you okay?' she asked. "'How to answer?' I just slipped, I said. Did you hurt yourself, she said, alarmed. I'm okay, I reassured her. I bumped my head and then got up. But for a moment I did think if I didn't get up, of all the things that I'd miss. What were they, she asked. I looked at her. I didn't know what to say. I realised that one of the things I'd missed from my life was this, being one-to-one with my daughters. I can't tell you now, I said, getting up. I don't know what happened, on any level, spiritual or physiological. Did I, as I believe briefly start to asphyxiate in that puddle so that for perhaps a second I was technically dead, during which time I was helped by an angelic being, or did I just give myself a big bang on the head during which time a few thoughts flashed through my mind. It didn't matter, either way I liked that angel's tone and the advice, be here. As we walked gingerly home my daughter talked happily about a netball game, she described a move that led to a shot, she really wants me to picture the scene. She demonstrated the shot beautifully, but with a touch of physical comedy. I smiled. I was so there. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, he's a very melodramatic storyteller.
1: Isn't he a very melodramatic <laughs> storyteller?
0: But, uh, but very sweet.
1: Very, very very sweet. Do, do you think that...
0: Is that, though, an OBE or an NDE?
1: Well, I think it's a bit of both, really, isn't it? Maybe yeah. it's an, a near-death experience. Do you think that it is possible that he was shown these things to make him appreciate the here of his life? Possibly. Or do you think it
0: is... It is a bit like, it's quite poetically written in that it was, he was fixating on the past and stuff that had already happened and regrets and the voice said, be here. Yeah. As in, Be right here now. now, yeah. Which is a very poetic...
1: So you don't believe it? No. You don't believe it at all? No. It's mad because he's written a whole book about it.
0: Yeah, I wonder what his sales figures are like. Yeah. I mean, what could, what could possibly motivate someone to write a book?
1: It's interesting, because a lot of these people who have OBEs and near-death experiences actually go on to write books about
0: mm.
1: as you'll see coming up.
0: Interesting. No, I, mm, I don't believe his particular story. I'm not poo-pooing the whole thing. I just feel like there was a bit of a... I think it's more likely that he uh, fell over and thought, "Oh, I could have died. I wonder what would happen if I'd have nearly died. Oh, that would make a good story. Oh, look, there's Grace. Let's talk about netball.
1: So you think he's um, potentially like playing on a trope to sell books? Yeah. Who knew that people would do that, eh? Or it wasn't
0: that dramatic. And actually, he did have a near-death experience where he came out of his body. He saw himself and then he went back into it.
1: Oh, interesting. And that
0: maybe that voice is like the fabrication is the fictional tool to make it a better story. So
1: there's loads and loads of those stories though, loads of them where people have a near death experience or an out of body experience and they hear that voice, or I read somewhere they're literally sat at a table with a man, or there sat there was one I read about this, this kid who had a near death experience and um he was in he was just driving along in the car with his granddad and then he looked and he realised that it wasn't his granddad, but it was God, and you know whatever, or this godlike figure, and and opened the and he the godlike figure stopped the truck and he said, "You need to get out now. You this isn't your time, and I'm going to drop you off, and you need to get out because you're not ready." And then he got out, and he went back into his body, and then later he was in his granddad's house, and uh, he was looking through old photos, and he saw the godlike figure in a picture, and it was actually his great granddad. Yes,
0: yeah, interesting. Isn't it? That's
1: really interesting, isn't Quite it?
0: Like, there's no reason why that kind of thing wouldn't happen actually, and actually in, thinking about it in a less cynical way. If you thinking of if it was an angel in a Christian sense, there's loads of poetry in the Bible anyway. So why? Maybe it is a poetic thing. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Maybe. It just seems a little bit too convenient for that in terms of the story. It may, I don't know whether it was as poetic as he wrote it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The other interesting thing about near-death experiences is that there are multiple people who have near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences and go to hell. Mm. And that's the other side of things.
0: So that's what um, Scrooge did, isn't it, really?
1: That's... Yeah, kind of, pretty much. It was like showing all the shit parts of his life and yeah. and whatever.
0: But maybe that's what happened to him. Maybe so, he had a near-death experience.
1: What I'm going to do for you is I'm going to read you some experiences of people who have had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences, which have not been so positive.
0: Okay. Are you um, ready? No, i really not. Are you ready for some no. demons? No. It's
1: all about them demons.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: One of the first widely circulated reports of such a terrifying near-death experience was an account from a George Ritchie from World War II, which was published in his 1978 book, Return from Tomorrow. Richie described coming down with pneumonia after being brought to an army hospital in Richmond, Virginia, where he was pronounced dead, but finally revived nine minutes later with a horrifying story to tell. He claimed that he had had an out-of-body experience, where he wandered around town and met a mysterious figure, who took him on a guided tour of various disturbing places. One was a bar where people desperately tried to drink, eat or smoke cigarettes, but could not, no matter how hard they tried. This vision of those who could not partake in vices or what they loved most was relatively mild compared to what was to follow.
0: Mm -hmm. He
1: next found himself in a barren wasteland where spirits of all shapes and sizes were engaged in vicious battles with each other, punching, biting, kicking and slashing at each other with wrathful abandon. Ritchie would later write of a scary, foul scene, even more hideous than the bites and kicks they exchanged were the sexual abuses Many were performing in feverish pantomime, perversions I would never dreamed of or being vainly attempted all around us. The sinister experience would inspire Ritchie to later become a psychiatrist and write several books on the matter which would serve as popular sources and inspiration for NDE researchers in the 1970s. And this experience remains one of the first popular accounts of an NDE concerning hell. The case was poured over by researchers who sought to look for related experiences and chart any similarities between them. Unsettlingly, it has since been found that these horrific visions are more common than one might think. One researcher and writer of unpleasant NDEs by the name of Nancy Evans Bush has estimated that one out of every five NDEs involves terrifying traumatic experiences, such as black, cold voids, total sensory deprivation, yawning chasms of loneliness, prowling monsters, or indeed visions of an actual hell, the description of which can vary wildly from person to person. In her book Dancing Past the Dark, Bush explains about these different permutations of hell. Some are hot, some are cold, some are like deserts, some are like a swamp. Some are too bright in terms of fire and some are full of wet to slimy, nasty stuff. I've heard descriptions of wells with slimy creatures in them, but I've also heard barren wastelands with nothing. No matter what form these visions of hell after death take, one thing they do have in common is that they're all terrifying. Take the story of Matthew Botsford, who in 1992 was shot as he exited a bar in Atlanta, Georgia, by two disgruntled men who had been kicked out of the establishment and were taking out their frustration by shooting guns at the building. Shot in the head, grievously wounded and bleeding profusely, Botsford teetered on the edge of death, reportedly dying and being resuscitated three times on the way to the hospital. When he arrived, doctors made the drastic decision to put Botsford into a medically induced coma in order to reduce his brain swelling, where he would remain for 27 days. Although he would later claim that he did not remember anything of his actual death other than a sharp, hot pain, he certainly remembered what he had experienced during his coma. Botsford claimed that at first there was nothingness an unbearable void of perfect blackness, which he described as being like thick black ink being poured over his eyes. The chasm of total darkness began to slowly be illuminated by a blooming light that appeared to come from some glowing abyss below him that was belching out waves of incredible heat and noxious smoke. It was then that Botsford noticed that his hands and feet were shackled with chains and that he was being suspended in mid-air amongst the heat and smoke by some unseen force. It was also then when he began to notice a chorus of anguished screams and unearthly shrieks pervading the air around him as if from an endless sea of tortured oppressed people. Looking down into the dizzying pit below in a panic, he claimed that he could see strange beasts and less defined things with glowing demonic eyes wandering about snapping and snarling. The smoke that was vomiting forth from below was also notable for the fact that each plume had framed within it a soul that writhed in torment. Throughout all of this, Botsford described the whole sinister scene as being permeated by a crushing sense of utter loneliness and despair that pierced him to the core. In addition to all of this, Botsford said that the infernal, relentless heat was starting to char and sear his flesh, and as soon as he began to believe that he would be burned down to the bone, ash and nothingness, all of it grew back, to begin the agonising process anew. Even worse was the arrival of hideous horned creatures with glowing oval eyes and sharp fangs which proceeded to rip and gnaw the cooking flesh from his body and devour it, after which the flesh would again grow back. As he hung there roasting above this red pulsing chasm of snapping beasts and shining eyes closed in again and again to feed, Botsford was allegedly grabbed by a giant hand and pulled away, accompanied by a booming voice that declared, it is not your time. When he snapped out of his coma, he realised that he was no longer in that terrible, bleak place, but rather in a hospital room with a bad headache and paralysed on his left side. Mentioned some sort of evil monsters, demons or beasts is a common feature of many hellish NDEs. In 1981, Veronica Barthel saw such apparitions in her own NDE which occurred after she was spectacularly struck by lightning in her car. After losing consciousness, Barthel says that she found herself being roughly dragged along by demons and that all around her she could see these demons throwing people into caves or stabbing them with wicked spears. Around their feet were writhing masses of enormous snakes that seemed to carpet the ground everywhere. Barthel described the scene as The creatures that I saw there were more terrifying than anything I had ever seen in a horror movie. Today I know that they were demons. As soldiers, they were marching past me and in the middle of them were people that were screaming with pain. It was very difficult to breathe down there because of the terrible smell of this place. I saw a lake which looked like the inner part of a volcano where people were cursing because of the great pain. Another similar report comes from Bill Wise, who described being shoved into a cell where he was accosted by vicious reptilian beasts which proceeded to throw him around, punch, kick, scratch and stab him. Throughout this encounter he was bombarded by a cacophony of screams that seemed to reverberate around the walls from all around him and which he surmised were those of others being tortured in a similar fashion. When he came to, 23 minutes had passed. The near-death experience of London-based art historian Evelyn Hazel has a similar feel to it, when, after reaching a critical stage of meningitis, she found herself in a dark pit fighting against being pulled into the depths by a hulking, ferocious three-legged beast. Although many of these dark NDEs tend to be more readily reported by the highly religious, this is not always the case. In 2005, college professor and lifelong devout atheist Howard Storm was on an excursion to Europe with some of his art students when he suffered a perforated stomach. He was told by doctors that he required immediate surgery to save his life but as he waited for an operation he felt himself slipping away, fading to the point that he even said his last goodbyes to his wife. As he began to drift out of consciousness he reported that he suddenly found himself standing next to his own body and he noticed that his stomach pains were gone. Attempts to call out to his wife failed as she seemed not to even notice that he was there. Before Storm had even the chance to fully adjust to the bizarreness of seeing his own body in the hospital bed, He was startled by strange voices calling out to him, which said, Come with us, we've been waiting for you. Looking around, Storm saw that the source of the voices was a group of indistinct shadowy figures congregating around the door of the hospital room. In a daze, he went to follow them, as he had been asked to do. But when they left the room, they emerged into a dark, thick fog that seemed to lead into a tunnel of some sort. The figures he was with seemed friendly enough at this point and playfully chided him to keep up as they pushed him down the misty tunnel. As they got deeper into the tunnel and the darkness got more profound the figures began to change their tone to a more ominous demeanor. They gradually went from playful to decidedly more aggressive as they started pushing him and tripping him up on purpose. They slowly graduated to increasingly violent shoves and even the figures' voices became more guttural and demanding, their chiding turning into harsh insults and disdain. The increasingly spooked Storm decided he did not like where this was headed and told the figures he wanted to go back. This request sent the shadowy wraiths into a fury. They began to attack him in earnest as they spewed venomous obscenities at him. Storm would say of the encounter, We had a big fight and the fight turned into them annihilating me, which they did slowly and with much relish. Mostly they were biting and tearing at me. This went on for a long time. They did other things to humiliate and violate me, which I don't talk about. Although he was a strict atheist, Storm claims that as he collapsed under relentless attack, he began to desperately pray, which made the creatures even angrier and prompted them to shriek with rage. There is no God. Nevertheless, Storm prayed over and over again as he cowered on the ground, which he says culminated in him suddenly being pulled away from the assault and whisked off back into his own body. Storm was badly shaken by the experience. Perhaps the most frightening and bizarre aspect of these negative near-death experiences is that they don't always seem to follow the rules that one might expect. If there really is a literal hell, then one would assume that only people who have done terrible things would go there. Yet this is proven not to always be the case with those who have suffered through these terrifying experiences. In many cases, the person has not done anything that would seem to make them deserve the torment they have gone through. There are other weird features as well. Although the religious are more prone to reporting their experiences, it generally does not seem to always matter whether the person is religious or not when it comes to having NDEs or the experiences they produce. Even for those who are religious, the experience can be somewhat different from what they have been brought up to believe will happen to them in the afterlife. Researcher Nancy Evans Bush has said of the matter, Mystical experiences in general do not follow doctrinal precepts. They are what they are, and the doctrines are often in another room somewhere. In short, things don't always play out the way a person of a particular faith would have believed they would before the experience. Another interesting oddity when it comes to NDEs, both light and dark, is that though they may take different forms and still remain, in general, surprisingly consistent across religions and cultures, often displaying rather spooky parallels. Positive NDEs consistently feature out-of-body experiences, life reviews, and an ascent into some sort of light, whereas negative ones feature darkness, desolation, and some form of tortuous anguish, regardless of the culture or the faith. It does not seem to be linked too strongly to cultural preconceptions or expectations, at least on the basis level. Tony Lawrence, an NDE researcher and psychologist, has explained it as this. There seems to be a general lack of cultural factors determining the content of these experiences. People from many cultures will describe meeting a figure of light. They don't meet Jesus or Vishnu or Buddha, although afterwards they may sometimes describe what they saw in that way the cultural influences only seem to emerge in the interpretation of what was seen, not in the basic experience itself you've got so much to say, so much to say that's why I've stopped because I can see you flexing over there, what are your thoughts
0: okay, I just want to put this out here, I believe in an afterlife, I believe that these things are probably as they say however, I need to play sceptic because I have so many things to say about what you've just read, okay go First of all, I need to ask you a question because I don't actually know. When you're in a coma, yes, how limited does your brain function?
1: It depends on the type of coma that you're in.
0: I'd be interested to see what the medical capacity is for REM in a coma. Are these just extenuated, extending dreams? See the or thing nightmares? is,
1: the thing is about a coma is that, if, and and with the brain in general, you don't really know, yeah. and that's the problem. So you can you can say, oh, this part of your brain is has sparked up, is light has lit up. That means that this could be happening but because we can't see what other people are seeing inside their brains you can't see other people's dreams or thoughts then that means you're only it's all only guesswork mm. so do you think that these things are extended dreams or nightmares
0: i don't personally but i could be convinced by a very strong medical argument i think if if i knew for sure that it was possible that you could dream yes they've made them to books because obviously they were in a coma at the time when they had it i reckon you could probably 1 in 10 people would be able to describe a similar fiendish nightmare that they've had when they've been asleep. It's not too dissimilar from that. The positive ones intrigue me more, I think. Uh, because, Why? Well, because they seem to have a, like, a being pulled out of it kind of side to it, where someone says, ah, not now. So there's more of a conscious effect that they're actually, conscious acknowledgement that they're actually not where they're supposed to be. Whereas the hell ones, there's examples in there where they get pulled out, but it seems very more, it seems much more nightmarish. There were a couple of things that you said in there that really irked me. Go on. <laughs> the fact that, and atheist or was atheist right yeah he was an atheist had a religious experience in a near in a near-death experience is absolutely not not proof that these things are actually real
1: i think that i don't think it's trying to say that's proof but what i think it's trying to say is that this person had no predisposed idea
0: of no because it i disagree with that because even if you vehemently don't believe it, you have still been exposed to it at some point in your life. And actually, if you're American, you've probably been brought up with it. You've probably been exposed to it in your friends, your family, your neighbors at some point in your life. Numerous people who have never shown an inclination towards faith has been outspoken atheists have recanted on the deathbed because of the fear of the unknown.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And
0: so there's no reason why it shouldn't be the same thing. It shouldn't be the brain clicking and going, oh, I'm dying. And I'm frightened. And I'm frightened and I don't know what happens now.
1: Kind of like... And the only
0: thing that you know, the only reference point that you know that isn't nothing is a religious theory.
1: It's kind of like third man theory really, isn't it? That in moments of high stress, your brain is creating a scenario that you can grasp and you can hold on to. That you can understand and you can pinpoint in a narrative and go, oh my God, it was God. Or, oh fuck, I went to hell hell sounds like a fucking whale of a time by the way all these little demons dragging you about oh having sex everywhere biting each other bim would be fucking she'd be well able for it down
0: there the other thing that hurt me go on was this concept that only evil people go to hell whether you believe it or not that is not what's written in the bible
1: what does it say in the bible then
0: you're born with sin until you accept jesus that's where you're going oh and there are no truly good people that is a that is a fallacy as well nobody is truly good people might do more good things than they do bad things but there's no good people, no truly Well, yeah, good I agree
1: with that because everybody does some bad at some point in their life, whatever. It just depends on what I mean, that I mean, I could is. totally
0: trigger you right now and just say Mother Teresa, but I won't.
1: I'll oh, get the fuck out. <laughs> fucking, do you know what? That bitch is in hell. If there's ever a, a fucking character in history that's in hell, it's that bitch. Uh, she's actually somebody who I would have punched in the I've face. I've essentially
0: just trolled you on the podcast. That's no amazing, you have. <laughs> You've just triggered me
1: so badly. I'm doing hand movements. I feel really angry. If uh, I get haunted by Mother Teresa's demon, this is going to be my fault. Like, this is going to be your fault, I mean, for bringing it up and making me slagger off again. Oh, gosh, I just can't help myself.
0: I think heaven and hell is a really good discussion point, actually, and the afterlife in general. I'm not, we're not, it's not for now, but I just think it's a really interesting concept. All the different cultural ideas, ideas of, of what, what happens it means, yeah. And, and where that concept comes from, because actually, nobody's experienced it and come back. Nobody's, yeah, that's true. Nobody's died and then come back and go, oh, this is what happened. So, where do these concepts come from? Like, reincarnation how, yeah how many like bims hasn't told us yet what she was in a previous life so how do we know that reincarnation is a possibility but
1: the thing is is that you know years and years and years ago when it was like first people to manage death they created these narratives and that's Absolutely. basically what happened yeah. but it's still like fascinating, it's like it? the fact that you know uber christians christian fundamentalists do the whole creation story is legitimately what happened and what they kind of failed to recognise or fail to accept is that most cultures in the world have the same creation story because they needed to a way to, to, to figure out how the world came to be and fought me, how are we all running around here and how does everything work this way? And creation stories are all really similar throughout the world. There's obviously the ancient like Greek and Roman mythology about like, you know, chasing the moon across the sky and all that stuff. But at its basis a lot of world religions have the same creation story. So as humans we just need something. We need it's the opiate of the masses, mm. as Marx would say. And it, it makes us feel calm that if you die you're not gonna be you're you're not just going to be nothing that you get to go on and watch your family grow up or all of the, whatever it is that mm. you kind of feel like you're missing out on when you go to die. Are you afraid of death? No, no, me neither.
0: <laughs> so maybe these people are experiencing a form of hell to make them reevaluate. Do you think? But well, no, it's it could be.
1: I don't know how I feel about it.
0: I also felt that the first guy, his experience may have come from a great deal of guilt from killing. Because he was a soldier in World War Two, right? Yes. You have to do things as a soldier that you...
1: That you, don't, you potentially don't want don't to do. Don't
0: want to do. And particularly in, in, maybe not so much in more recent years, but in World War Two, it was kind of almost necessary, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so these people signed up with the greatest will in the world, but were made to actually do... Evil things, And so maybe that part of that is him, is his guilt and him, maybe him subconsciously realising that he's near the end and projecting himself to where he feels he should be because of what he's done.
1: I think there's a real power in guilt, oh, shame, good. guilt, shame and fear, I think are three of the most powerful emotions and three of the most damaging emotions that can create these horrific emotions worlds for people so if you think about which um,
0: is why people that have none of those are the scariest individuals
1: yes so if you think about like children who have been abused often the fear and the guilt and the shame that comes with that causes their brain to like literally fracture to protect itself that's why you end up with people with dissociative personality disorder and why you end up with people who suffer from severe psychosis and if you've never if you've ever seen anybody suffering with psychosis you can also see why people believe in possession and why people believe that people have visions and stuff in this kind of context it's because your brain like those emotions are the most powerful thing in the world and they really really are and they create all these projections that make you feel like that like you said this is what i deserve i deserve to be in hell i deserve mm. to be seeing all these things
0: i don't think although like since i've learned this from will really but he told me a long time ago that, that that statistic about 70% of our brain that we don't use or whatever is actually not true.
1: Yes, yeah, it's not true at all.
0: But we still don't fully understand it. It's a little bit like the ocean, isn't it? We haven't got a complete comprehensive idea of how it works. No, of course not Because don't. we don't understand the idea of soul, I don't think. You can't capture soul, can you? You can, no. you can look at someone's brainwaves, but you can't see what they're thinking, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that element of the unknown as to what is actually happening we see the the synapses going off and firing and all that kind of thing and we can we can say well that person you know that brain is functioning but we don't actually know what it's doing no we don't and we have no concept of measuring soul or or personality really do we like truly
1: no you can look at somebody and say your personality is this but that's not necessarily true it's not necessarily a fact there's loads of different like research into things like psychopathy for example and how People believe that psychopaths are made and there's new research that suggests that actually they're not made, they're born the way they are. Like they're they're born with sort of different um different weighting in their brain, as it were, that parts of their brain work differently than other people. So I don't I don't believe in outer body experiences. I don't believe in near death experiences. Have I we think got it's any actual outer
0: body experiences or NDA?
1: We did have outer body experiences, but they were really boring. Okay. I got really bored reading them.
0: So I was just wondering, if you can leave your body, does that mean that someone else could get into it? Yeah, apparently. So if you had two people astral projecting, could you swap bodies? Potentially. Be so like you could have a Freaky Friday. Friday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So
1: could we do that? Have a Freaky Friday and swap bodies? <laughs> if, if you could astral project and you could sneak about with just your spirit, leave your body in bed, what would you do? I know what I'd do. I thought about this earlier.
0: Uh, I'd probably just like... so can I go through walls and stuff yeah oh I'd just be walking around the neighbourhood just looking we'll see what's going on
1: seeing what's going on what people are doing
0: because I don't know whether I I don't know how how much distance you can cover (laughs) in the time
1: yeah I guess
0: like I don't even know if the spiritual me could be bothered walking to like Ramsgate or something
1: (laughs) I would um, I'd eat your cereal
0: he did it anyway. you don't need the astral video.
1: Yeah, but at least then you wouldn't be mourning at me because I'd be like, I didn't move all night. I was in bed all night. How did I? Eat Have your you serious? opened my golden nuggets? Is this no, I haven't opened me? your golden nuggets. Okay. But now I'm thinking about them because <laughs> I've never had golden nuggets. Uh, so this is actually a really serious episode, and yeah. I didn't mean for it to be. I thought it would be funnier, but it kind of ended up not being funny.
0: I just feel like, that's okay. I just feel that a lot of it is down to your body potentially subconsciously being aware that you're you're dying dying.
1: yeah i think your body does know that you're dying i think your brain does know as well
0: yeah
1: and i think it's um i think a lot of people see the light before they die they see loved ones that have gone before them and stuff my i had a friend who um passed away what was it five years ago now six years ago five years ago and when we used to talk about death, because he knew he was dying for a long time, when he used to talk about death, he would be really, like, quite candid about um, his ideas about death. And he would say that he wasn't afraid of dying because you can't destroy energy. So no matter what happened, even if God wasn't real, even if religion wasn't real, whatever, he was going to live on because energy can't be destroyed. And I was like, oh, that's actually
0: a really... Semi scientific. That is a really cool off.
1: way to think about it. It's just to just yeah. be like, nah, no point being afraid, because like i I the essence of me isn't gonna go anywhere. Which is a weird thing to think about. Yeah. Our reviews this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Segway
1: We have two new reviews. The first one comes from Carmen and her freckles, which is Carmen, who is one of our gorgeous Patreon subscribers. And she entitled it Scared and Smitten. (laughs) Love this podcast and quickly burned through all of the episodes immediately upon discovery. Spooky tales bring you to the edge of your seat, but endearingly witty banter brings you back to reality and eager to hear the next episode. Can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you, Carmen, you absolute beauty. We love you.
0: And that was endearingly witty banter, not banal waffle, just in case. You just were in
1: case anybody misheard. Don't drop kick this down the stairs is the title of our next <laughs> review from Mr. Enriquez. I started listening to the latest episode, episode 20, and really had no idea what was going on. Because I was listening via Bluetooth headphones, my phone was out of reach, <laughs> so he <we> couldn't <laughs> turn it off. so i carried on listening and when i got to the ghost stories i started to enjoy it more i've now listened to every episode emma tells the story so well you're hanging on her every word until she cracks up mid-story dan is like the voice of the people he'll say what you're probably thinking they work well together and are very funny a great paranormal podcast i love the fact that this guy listened because he had no choice and he was like what the fuck (laughs) is going on and then he was like oh this is actually all right (laughs) i feel like that's how we get most of our listeners because they're just like what is this?
0: I wonder how many people heard us in that Currys. Was it Currys or where that Oh, girl... Somebody
1: tweeted us uh, during the week to uh, tweet us a video where she had turned the iPads in Currys that she had made them all play real life ghost stories. Currys <laughs> is like an electrical oh, store. It's like an it, electrical store in the UK, but they played it out over the speakers and it really tickled me.
0: So I can absolutely encourage all of you, wherever you are, where there's a demonstration model that you can do that too, please do it. We don't just, mind. Just
1: do it for the crack. Go on. <laughs> Don't be a crack hey.
0: hey!
1: If you've learned nothing today, <laughs> you've learned about crack this. I feel like this episode is really serious. We'll probably lose about 7,000 listeners just from being really serious, but I quite enjoyed it. Okay, good. If you have also enjoyed this episode and you've got your own thoughts about out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences or have had either of the above, you can... Contact us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Give it a like and join our super group called Real Life Ghost Stories Supergroup. Actually, it's not. I made that up. It's <laughs> RLGS Supergroup. Join it and come and speak to us. We have an absolutely stunning paranormal community over there who share stories and memes and funny things and films. And oh my God, they're amazing. And I love them so much and they make me really happy. Also, you can talk to us on Instagram. We are at Real Life Ghost Stories on Instagram. You can message us there if you want to share your near death experience or your outer body experience. You can also find us on Twitter.
0: At real Ghost Pod.
1: And you can find Dan on Instagram. Um
0: 50P Movie Club All One Word.
1: At 50 P Movie Club. Yeah, and Movie if you've Club. got a story that you want to tell us, you can email us at real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And if finally If anybody's listened this far into the podcast, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month, you can get extra episodes weekly. So you will get at least one new episode weekly of Tiny Tales, which is extra paranormal stories and potentially an episode of 50p movie club, which is Dan and Will watching shitty films and talking about them. And on that note, we love you. And we shall see you next week.
0: Bon voyage.
1: Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,